What's up, y'all? It's Zach with Living Corporate. You know what we're doing. Every single week, we're having a really good conversation, or I would think it's a pretty good conversation. Yeah, your feedback says it's a pretty good conversation. Insightful discussions, real talk in the corporate world with black and brown influencers, thought leaders, elected officials, executives, entrepreneurs, social influencers, activists, you know, professors, educators, public servants. And I'm just really proud of this platform, right? I think um, we're in a point in time where people are really starved for content that centers and amplifies marginalized or historically oppressed voices and experiences. And Living Corporate has been doing that for over two years. And we've been doing that by having conversations every single week with the uh, aforementioned folks that I just, you know, that is shared. And uh, this week is no different. Uh, because we actually have an incredible guest, someone actually that I just really, just really met personally, but have been following his work for a while. Um, Frederick T. Joseph Frederick is an award winning marketing professional, activist, philanthropist and author of an upcoming highly anticipated book, The Black Friend, with over 10 years of marketing experience and a Forbes 30 under 30 list maker for marketing and advertising. He's also the sole creator of the largest GoFundMe campaign in history the pound sign or hashtag pounds on CMO hashtag black Panther challenge, which ultimately generated $43 million in earned advertising and media for Disney and raised over $950,000 and allowed more than 75,000 children worldwide to see black Panther for free. So I don't know if y'all remember like when the kids, you know, they was like, he was dancing on the, like, Hey, like that's part of that. You know, it's like he, like that was his person that we about to talk to anyway. So he's the creator of the largest individual COVID-19 support effort, the hashtag rent relief campaign, which has raised over a million dollars. Frederick has been honored as the 2018 comic con humanitarian of the year award and member of the 2018 route 100 list of most influential African-Americans. He's also a national surrogate for Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders campaigns. Frederick consistently writes about marketing, culture, and politics with the Huffington Post, USA Today, Now This News, The Independent, amongst others, and as a current contributor at Adweek. Fred, welcome to the show, man. What's going on, man? It's a pleasure um, to be here, and I should have definitely sent you a shorter bio, but I appreciate you showing the love, though. No, no, no. It's cool. <laughs> it's cool. It's cool. You know, I mean, you got like a short Iliad. I wanted to make sure I give it, you know, just do. Um, not a simple question. How are you doing these days? Man, um, you know, I mean, life is what it is. I think that, um, you know, I'm black in America. That's how I'm doing. How about you? Exactly. Exactly. I think it's interesting. I think it's interesting, too. Like, I've had folks ask me, like, how I'm doing. Like, I can't imagine how you feel. And I was and I tried to explain to folks, you know, the the reality is I don't feel any better or worse than I do on most days. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. I mean, that's yeah, that's the reality. But I'm the exact same position as you, man. You know, what I mean, it's like, I mean, I'm I'm black in America. I'm conscious of the, the way that this country and this world is set up to be largely against me having even existing. So it, it's interesting, though, that we're in this point, I think, where we're seeing such massive uprisings and white people are really leaning, leaning in. Like I just saw. So we're recording this on the on July 26th. And so just last night, I just saw protests in Portland. Right. And they're like screaming Black Lives Matter. And it's a lot of people out there. And it's a lot of people that are not us out there. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, you know, I think that's been interesting, like um, definitely in some of the whitest places in the country. We're seeing that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, Well, let's do this. Let's get into it, man. Like um, why marketing? Why is marketing the space that you chose to engage as a career? Like I've seen what you're doing in the space, but I'm curious as to like what like what got you there? 
Um, it was the only space that made sense. Um, I was on the trajectory of becoming an attorney. Uh, you know, I think that's like kind of for a lot of black families, if you become an attorney, a doctor, a teacher, so on and so forth, you, you've made it. <laughs> um, but, you know, for me, I was, you know, the first one to go to, to college, really. And um, when I went, you know, I had all these passions and interests from music to writing to um, art, so on and so forth. And I was trying to actually figure out what could I incorporate all of my interests into. And and I realized that marketing, if done well, is really just storytelling, right? Like, and, it, and, and to be a great marketer, you have to be multifaceted. So it, it just kind of made sense for me. And it's and to your point about being multifaceted, as I read as I read your um, your bio, right? You have a lot of things going on. Like, talk to me about how how that space lent itself into the book that you're working on. Yeah. Um, so that's been interesting um, because when you're a marketer, like I'm of the firm belief that every single thing in this world is driven by marketing, driven by branding um, and advertising, right? Like. Um, you know, whether it be Trump or Obama or, or some of the worst people in history, it was just a matter of how they story told and, and they branded themselves, right? Like, right. and that's just the nature of how that works. You know, um, you go see a movie, you listen to an album, you buy food, all based on how somebody was able to make you believe in it. Um, so for me, in terms of my book coming out, it, 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 it's a really interesting thing because all I'm really doing in the book is trying to market to people um, who are young, like as to why they should reassess race and, and, you know, essentially work towards being anti-racist. And, and now I'm, you know, partnering with my publisher to figure out the actual marketing campaign for how do you make young people be anti-racist? So yeah, it's been interesting. I mean, let's talk about, let's talk about white supremacy and how it functions in marketing, even now, when people talk about white supremacy, oftentimes we think about KKK burning crosses, hard R N word. But can we talk a little bit about like the nuances of white supremacy and its function in like the space that you inhabit, which is largely marketing? Yeah, so I'm I'm actually happy that's something you want to talk about because, as a matter of fact, that's what my book is about, right? It's like people don't understand that white supremacy, racism are so nuanced, they exist in every facet of what we do on a daily basis. From something as simple as an interaction on an elevator, right? Like, it's me getting in the elevator in my building where I pay my rent, and people assume that I'm a delivery person, though I've lived here for over a year. Um, In the workplace, and specifically in marketing, I actually think that it's one of the industries in which racism and white supremacy are most prevalent, because it dictates what we see and what we ingest, right, like as humans. So oftentimes, I mean, marketing as an industry for advertising are extremely white. I think the numbers, if I remember correctly, was like 75% white people. Yeah. So what does that mean for what you end up seeing, right? It's like if, let's take Black Panther as a really good example. Mm-hmm. When I looked at the marketing team for Black Panther, this like super pro-black um, Afro-futuristic content, the entire marketing team that worked on it from Disney that was like on their website was white. Right? Right. And, and, and while that did do very well, obviously, it's like, how is it that we don't even get to craft 
how we storytell around our narratives, right? Um, and, and, and that's the reality. So, like, even if you're watching something like the NBA, most of the ways in which the NBA um, is pitched to us as people is through a white lens, white gaze, which is why we see something like, oh, um, right now the marketing team for the NBA said, hey, you know what we should do? We should put Black Lives Matter on the courts in the bubble. Right. And we should also put, um, you know, Breonna Taylor and these things, uh, these names on jerseys. And that's all marketing. But there's never the actual substance of like, hey, actually, maybe if we got some more like black people from different experiences in the room, right. someone might say like, oh, well, what about making systemic change? Right. Like, right. Like, what right. about not doing something that's performative? What about us actually using our cachet, our narrative, our platform to actually make change? Like, why is it like if I was in that room, I would say, well, that's cool and all. But what if we actually built our marketing around creating a program where we send scouts to HBCUs, right? right? And start actually recruiting black talent from black schools, which could create systemic change where more young black people would go play at HBCUs, which puts more dollars in the black community right. and brings more cash aid to those schools. <laughs> right. <laughs> it was interesting to your point, right? I'm looking at these, so I'm looking at it, right? And even... You know, we can talk a little bit about the like the memification of Brianna Taylor, and I'd like to get your opinion on that. But when you see these things, and it's like you know, it seems like we 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 like to get in this like awareness loop, like we just talk about awareness over and over and over. So like if we just talk about it long enough, things will magically change. But like it's interesting because like that approach is never has never shown itself useful in any other endeavor. And when you look at the government and how. Like when we talk about making systemic change in other ways, we pass laws, we create mm -hmm. policies, we right, like we hold trials like we <laughs> there are like tangible things that we know that we do to actually move the needle in a, a real way. And so what I've appreciated is I've been seeing like, you know, the post game and like LeBron has uh, talked about it um, and other NBA players have been like, look, I'm only talking about Breonna Taylor, which I think is that's admirable, right, to a degree. Like I'm not mm -hmm. I'm not shading that at all. And what I'm looking for to your point is like, OK, now, at what point do we like move to, again, tangible solutions? You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I mean, that's exactly it. Right. Like it, it, tangible solutions, systemic change, because as you said, you know, it's not even just a, it's a memification of Breonna Taylor and really a memification of like black bodies as a whole. Right. Right. Like, right. right. Um, and, and that and that's what I'm saying. Right. Like it's like. Every day, people are posting these witty ways of saying, um, oh, we should have justice for Breonna Taylor. Like, I saw yesterday, it was, like, in, like, um, Alphabet Soup. I'm like, uh... Weird. It's weird <laughs> um, to me. It's, it's extremely weird, and it would only happen with black people, to be quite frank. I mean, like, let's be real. Let's look at somebody like um, the case around... Uh, Jean Benet Ramsey, right? Yes. The little girl went missing, right? There was never a singular moment where that was turned into a global pun, right? right? And they right. still were looking for that little girl. They did not stop. And I think they still have content that comes out about looking for her. They like, reopened the case for like the fifth time, I think like two years ago. Right. You know, we are the only ones where our black bodies, like our black existence, is commodified and turned into entertainment and turned into ROI, right? 
Right. Like their financial reasons. Right. Just I mean, it's probably like just the capitalist system we, we live in. It literally pays to talk about Black Lives Matter right now. Right. Like it pays. It can it can it gives mm-hmm. you returns to like if I put if I put hashtag Black Lives Matter in my social media um, and it's easy. Like it's it's relatively easy for me to do that compared to me really investigating and examining like again my own organization's policies, practices, procedures, and institutions that drive um, or support white supremacy, like within my own organizational walls. And so then like you know, I think about like there have been some cities that have been painting like painting roads, Black Lives Matter, making streets called Black Lives Matter. I'm like, like y'all y'all's own police forces have open investigations. There's unsolved murders, um like there's all types of things that are happening in your, and so it gets to the point where it's almost not almost like it is gaslighting, you know, because we're not even we're 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 now we're not taking this serious, like, and we're we're still somehow even in this moment sidestepping the very real problem of the brutalization of black and brown people. Hmm. I mean, absolutely, and 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 to the point of again, like you know, with the painting Black Lives Matter and things, so on and so forth. Um, we, we, in every major city um, where black people live, there's a Malcolm X Boulevard, there's a Martin Luther King Way, there's a, uh, a James Baldwin this and a, um, you know, a Bell Hooks that. Um, and those are actually, like, sadly, some of the worst streets and areas in all of those cities, right? So we've already seen that performative isn't actually doing anything, right? Like, we, like we've absolutely seen that. But again, there is a return on investment. It is dollar making for cities, football teams, uh, uh, individuals to put up something that is aligned with Black Lives Matter. Why? Because as is always, um, as is often said, black people and our buying power is, um, you know, on par with some of the larger uh, um, countries in the world so let's just be real here i mean yeah 100 percent. so you know we alluded to a little bit earlier you know that we're seeing um federal and state police forces harm and murder civilians in mass on camera uh, we wouldn't even really know about these things without social media so you know you and i a little bit of a little bit of tea you and i we met through um, an influencer event uh, hosted by twitter right and I would love to hear more about your perspective on how the Twitters, Facebooks and Reddits of the world, the role that they play in protecting basic human dignity and freedoms and like what all they could and should be doing in this moment. Yeah, well, you know, one, um, I'm, I'm happy that you that you've called that out, because I think that we have gone from a moment or a period of time, rather, where um, these platforms, the Facebooks, the Reddits, the Twitters are that, right? They're platforms. They're no longer platforms. They are actually worlds now. Um, and that's, that's what these companies wanted them to traject toward. They wanted them to traject towards small worlds where people exist on them, whether as their actual selves or their other selves or whatever, they exist on them in real time. They, they breathe on them. They sleep on them. They eat on them, right? Um, and therefore, you can also... Um, be lost on them and be lost because of them. And you you could also be saved, right? And I think that we saw that case with Toyin, right? We saw that um, Toyin was someone who had existed 
on um, and off the platform Twitter uh, for quite some time. Someone who came on Twitter and and sought help. Now, Twitter um, has built itself to have various tools and 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 various um, you know rules around how they um, stifle or amplify um, certain voices and and moments. Um, you know, there's in terms of stifling, um, you can say the you know the the N word, for instance, and and be suspended from Twitter. I've seen it happen. It's happened to me. Um, but they don't have things in place to actually help people, right? In our real world, right, you can't try to recreate the real online for your own um, capitalistic gain, but not have the tools and the resources to, to support, um, you know, the people who are existing on these places. So I, and, and I, I think that that is one issue um, that I've seen that these, these companies and platforms could do a great deal around. Um, you know, I know the role that these platforms play. Um, I just, I guess I, I struggle with what we should expect from them. Because at the end of the day, um, you know, these things are owned by white men for the most part. And, um, and white men are going to be white men. And that's a long-winded answer. But. <laughs> but no, so, I mean, I think my follow-up to that is, like, we know that black people specifically, right? So I, I could say, like, B-I-P-O-C, but I want to say, like, black people specifically. We know that black people really make social media what it is, right? Like, we are the engine and the spice and everything else that really makes social media dope. And so I guess my question is, like, do you think the reason why black voices are promoted and have grown and kind of like been like the influencer and shaker uh, that we are, do you think that's because of capitalism? Do you think that the ecosystem would be the same without capitalism? Um, I don't. And that's because of the history of black people globally, right? right. Like every, every turn in our history, except for when we were left alone, which is long before most history books can date, um, we have been uh, leveraged because of some type of capitalistic or imperialistic um, agenda, right? right? So right now, we are, whether that be on Black Twitter or on Instagram or on Facebook, right? Um, I think the only one that we probably don't um, have that cachet on is probably like Reddit because white supremacy owns Reddit for the most part. Um, like we are the reason the United States in every facet of it is the United States from the good, the bad, and the ugly, right? We are the reason that most of the world is the way that it is. We are the influencing, driving force behind music, art, um, uh, just every single thing to do with culture. Right. Uh, but we've never reaped any of the benefits of that. Uh, so um, so I do think that if capitalism didn't exist, though, um, you know, I, I don't think that it would be the same. I, I do think that we'd be much happier and in our own space doing the same things with amongst each other. Right. Um, but in terms of the influence globally, no, I don't think so. But I don't know that our, our global influence anyway matters if we haven't been benefiting from it. I agree with that. Yeah. And I'm, and I appreciate you answering the question. Cause I've been, I've been thinking about it like, mm, cause I appreciate the fact that we have the influence, but it's like, it gets, it gets increasingly exhausting to see us have all this influence just for it to get monetized by everybody else. You know what I mean? Right. You know, to the point of the, the Twitter conversation that you were mentioning, um, you know, I talked about a lot of things in that conversation. I think one of the things I mentioned was a real criticism of capitalism and of, you know, platforms where I said, um, 
you know, like for instance, my Black Panther challenge, I, was, I made a joke like, oh yeah, you know, like Twitter was touting the Black Panther challenge, but like, you know, at events that I wasn't even invited to, right? Like mm-hmm. um, me caring about um, that per se, I probably wouldn't have wanted to go to the events, is more so in a, a criticism of how we operate around black lives and black work. But in that, you know, hours later, you had, a, you know, a black person from Twitter attacking me saying that, like, I don't, I don't care about anything but being invited to parties or something like that. I'm like, no, no, no. Like, that's not, not the, the it's, it's the it's the principle though so it's like it's right like, right, so it's like, right and i think and i think it's interesting that you bring that up because i had a colleague and you know been doing some work around i mean look living corporate has been here for a second but so like i do i do this work and like creating digital media creating different types of thought leadership around what does it really mean to like drive diversity equity inclusion programs right and so i had a colleague who was like yeah you know i've been taking this and presenting this at such and such and i'm like wait whoa whoa whoa, whoa. I appreciate the fact that you've been taking it. Appreciate the fact that it speaks to you. But if you're going to like speak on work that you didn't create, you should at the very least let me know and give me an opportunity to speak to it myself since I'm the person who created it. And it's not, and it's not, again, it's not about me getting the accolades or me getting paid per se. It's just about like, it's the common, it's just respect. It's respect and courtesy for the people that like honor the creators, honor the people who did the work to lead something and give them the space. Like don't, don't like pick and choose your own like token representatives and certainly don't center and place yourself as a representative. That's not cool. Um, yeah, it has nothing. But yeah, I, so I, I just, that resonates with me because I don't think that, I think that nuance is oftentimes lost in these moments. And I, and I think it's for whatever reason, it can be hard for people to like understand the principle of recognition and what real inclusion means, especially if it means that they have to like decenter themselves. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I mean, absolutely. It's um, <laughs> it's it's something that I've had to also learn, right? And like, how do you how do you step back to make sure that people are fully seen, or you give them the opportunity to be seen, whether they like if they want to, right? Like, if it's okay, right, right. And and I think that again, we do it to ourselves, right? Like, we do it to other black people. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a conditioning thing and, and it, it is absolutely rooted in white supremacy because you know white supremacy is at the center of every single thing wrong with society as a whole and always has been right 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 it's a scarcity mindset man it's like you know like again like i think it's like a core function of capitalism as well it's like not only production but consumption too so it's like i just gotta like i gotta just take 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 and if i'm not the one taking it then it's not real or if I'm giving it away, then that's, you know, that's, I'm, that's a loss to me, but it's like, that's not, it's a, it's not an abundance mindset. It's literally the opposite of that. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that's exactly, that's exactly it. Um, and I, and, you know, it's funny cause I'm working on something right now. Um, a second book, um, you know, called black under Trump and, you know, that proposal went out and I've noticed, um, I've, I've noticed that <laughs> you, you can tell a lot about engagements, online like you can tell a lot about like who engages with you and and how people engage and who shares what and who sees what because there's you know you've looked at the metrics before you can see you know um impressions versus actual engagement and yeah and one of the things that i i, I notice is like when i'm like talking about my my wins right like when i'm talking about like working on a second book like my first book 
when I announced that, everybody's like, oh, congrats. This and that third. I'm like, well, I'm working on a second and third. And, you know, it's kind of like everybody's like, oh, no, the hell with that. You've had yours, right? Like, and I'm like, oh, where did everybody go, right? Um, <laughs> and, 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 you know, and I realized, because, you know, most of my followers are, you know, black people or, you know, people in, um, in the people of color space, I suppose, whatever. Um, you know, I'm like, oh, it's because people think that there can only be one, right? This Highlander idea, like, the, you know, the right. scarcity mindset. It's scary because it's like it's like, man, if you would just pause and think about how little content there is out there that really centers and amplifies us, you would not be so. I mean, I would hope you wouldn't be so quick to want to dismiss or like to fight, like fighting over crumbs. Like we we take up so little of the narrative. Right. Um, We take up so little of the space when it comes to our perspectives, our lived experience, our frustrations, um, our passions, our joys. I want to pivot that into my next question, which is what role do you imagine independent black and brown media will take in this new decade? Right. So like, do you think it's going to increase? Do you think it's going to decrease? Do you think it's going to stay the same? And why? Now, do you mean media in the traditional sense or media as in like, if you have a certain following, you're also considered media. Well, that's a good question. Um, I'm thinking media more in the traditional sense. So thinking about like, like platforms or, um, yeah, I'm thinking like more like platforms, but then like, but then let's let's also extend it out to to individuals because I do think that that's going to continue to be a, a a budding space. You know, it's interesting because one of the things that I've learned, I, I think this year, you know, 2020, I've become a lot more radical, um, especially while I was on the you know the campaign trail for these different presidential candidates, and 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 in this year, I've realized how how different black people are, right? Like how, I've always said, you know, blackness is not a monolith, but I, and I've always meant it, but I just didn't realize how, how big that spectrum was. Um, You know, because you have black people who, from where I'm from, you know, I'm from, I'm from the projects in, in, uh, you know, Yonkers, New York, and, and I come from nothing. um, And I'm happy to have anything that I have now. Um, And that is a lot different from a black person who is fourth generation, you know, college and, you know, fourth generation, legacy, you know, cap alpha, you know, so, so on and so forth. Um, and in that, what I'm, what I'm struggling with now is when I think of blackness in terms of like that question, right? Like, Oh, like what role does the black media play? Because I'm, I'm I realize like, like, to be honest, like, like, I don't know because I don't know what type of black people are at these different places. Right. Like, I don't know, like, like, you know, when I look at like the root, um, I know right. some of the people there, um, for example, I know some of them and I've, and I, and there's a lot of them who like, I deeply respect at the root. And then there's also some of them I've met. And I'm like, Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, Oh, Oh, okay. Right. Or like, or there's black outlets, like, um, like shade room. And I'm like, Oh wow. You know, like, so I, so I think that because of that spectrum, because of us not being a monolith, I deeply struggle um, with knowing what our place should be because sometimes I think some of us should have less of a place on the forefront to be quite frank. And that means like some of our own platforms that we have currently. Yes. Well, expound, expound upon that a little bit. So, you know, I'll just be, pretty direct I, I i think that there are groups platforms media outlets so on and so forth you know even individuals um who are highly platformed highly powerful and i hope every single day that in the next 10 years that they're placed amongst 
the epicenter of blackness and the visible blackness is is reduced frankly yeah. right like i hope that if any outlets are getting um pushed or any or rather any you know anyone any platform so on and so forth I, I hope that it's people with a lens to the more i wouldn't even call it radical but like the more progressive inclusive liberating front you know it's interesting i i when i talk even when i talk i've had people and i've talked about living corporate as a platform and i would say like 99.9 percent of the people are like oh that's that's dope because i come from a similar background as you right like i'm first generation in a few different ways and like I'm not like, you know, like you said, like fourth generation college and like, you know, whatever. Like, that's just not my story. That's not my background. And like my people came up poor, you know what I mean? So like, um, but then I have met folks whose parents were, you know, again, they're like, they're like kind of like talented type, you know, vibes, you know what I mean? Like they kind of a little elitist. And I think about the fact that there's like, it's interesting how those voices end up being like the representation in like major platforms for everybody. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And that's we and like that's something we don't talk about a lot like out loud, but it's it's true and something you hear, see these people like and they're like, "Man, that's a that's a weird take." And I'm not saying I'm not saying that you that's not your perspective, but that's certainly not mine or like anybody in the people like any anybody in the spaces that I like I move around in. Again, I'm I am one person. But when I think about like kind of how white supremacy works in that way too, how it kind of like will gravitate to like these black voices that are not really radical or that are not progressive who are not much more politically left than they are, um, or just focused on black liberation. And it's interesting how like you end up kind of just switching out faces at the top, but you're not really focused on like dismantling anything. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. White supremacy gravitates towards black people who will do just enough to make white supremacy feel like it's coming down when it's actually not. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. I mean, and that, and that becomes very like confusing for me. And it's something that again, this year I have struggled deeply with because I mean, you know, you and I follow each other and, and I see the things you say, and you see the things I say and you mm-hmm. see the things you know, I've worked on. I love my, my people and I do everything that I can for my people, like, you know, to exhaustion and, and even, you know, again, that night at the Twitter thing, whatever, like it broke my heart. Like the next day was Juneteenth and I, I cried at one point. So I'm just like, I can't believe my own people view me in this way and they're doing this to me. Right. Like, right. and that's, that's how I feel on a regular basis, whether it be Black Panther challenge or Captain Marvel challenge, or Brentley, whatever it is. I often find that my lens being liberation focused and being like very much attuned to the movements of white supremacy ends up ostracizing me. And the only people who I end up getting support from are either really radical black people or like, to be honest with you, white people. And that makes me really, really sad because I'm like, even like my book cover reveal next week in my pre-order launch, I already know in the back of my head, I'm like, oh, I don't think black people are going to buy my book. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't think that my people are going to support me because like, I've never really seen my people support me before. And that's not our fault. That's white supremacy, but you know, it makes, it hurts. Right. Right. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Um, before we get up out of here, man, any parting words or shout outs as we think about, you know, where we're at, where we've yet to really arrive to, um, I think about the fact that we're recording this, like I said, late July, you know, we have, um, one of the most consequential, I still, I still believe one of the most consequential elections, um, in our lifetimes during a very unique season, like a, a weird confluence of events between one of the worst economic crises that we've had for almost a hundred years. 
a global pandemic and global protests focused on anti-racism i mean like what are some things that you'd like just to leave leave the folks with well i think the first thing is something that you said that was a very powerful quote um when you and i were talking uh some weeks ago um when you said you know black bodies have to be worth something right um that's that that sat with me and that's real um that's and and it's deep because i don't think that people understand sometimes that we could pile up the black bodies lost to the moon, right? Um, while we've been in this fight for resistance um, and, and justice uh, since we were brought over um, to these shores, right? Like, and another thing is like, when people are, are upholding certain things, you're only upholding things that are, are founded on the bones that you think that they're not right. Like that, you, uh, you know, like people are talking about, Oh, um, I'm going to get, you know, this role, let's say as VP of this company. Yeah. I mean, well, your ancestors bones are in those walls. So like, let, you know, let, let's just be real about this. Right. right. Like right. you're not actually getting anything that you didn't already die for a million times. Right. Um, so, so that being said, I, I guess the last thing I'll leave people with is, it stop settling. Um, stop settling for for the gaslighting that America has, you know, um, put us through in thinking that um, not being um, oppressed in some ways makes up for still being oppressed in others, right? Like, um, you know, Donald Trump is a symptom of a much larger condition. And getting him out of office, whether it was going to be Bernie, Elizabeth, or Biden, or whomever else, we are still left with those same conditions. So unless we are going to work on the conditions and how we got here, we will end up with another Trump in our children's lifetimes or our children's children's lifetimes, right? Um, and, and that's the reality of the moment that we're in. You know, um, stop settling. I love it. I love it, man. Frederick, I appreciate you taking the time uh, to be on Living Corporate. Y'all, you know what we're doing, right? Uh, this has been another episode of Living Corporate. We have conversations like this every single week on Tuesdays, just as a reminder, because, um, you know, for those who um, this is their first time listening every single Tuesday, we have conversations like these one on one deep dives with um, an incredible black or brown uh, person or an aspirational ally. And then on Thursdays, we have Tristan's tips. So those are like quick to career tips. And then on Saturdays, we either have an extended career conversation with Letitia Bird. Or we have see it to be it with Amy C. Wanniger, where we talk with a black or brown person about like the technical aspects of their job so that y'all can understand that we actually exist all over corporate America and that we actually operate and do very well um, when we are given opportunities and or um, or we, we break and we create the opportunities for ourselves. Anyway, check us out. We all over Beyonce's Internet living dash corporate or just type in living corporate we're gonna pop up okay we're on all the browsers make sure you share this with your friends you make sure you check out all of the links in the show notes pre-order frederick joseph's book and uh, and check out his website until next time y'all peace living corporate is a podcast by living corporate llc our logo was designed by david dawkins our theme music was produced by ken brown Additional music production by Antoine Franklin for Musical Elevation. Post-production is handled by Jeremy Jackson. Got a topic suggestion? Email us at livingcorporatepodcast at gmail.com. You can find us online on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and living-corporate.com. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned.